Well, if you have your Bibles today, we will be in Romans chapter 8. If you have a pew Bible, that is page 1756. 1756. If you're joining us online, I would always encourage you, grab a physical Bible. I know that it is easy to open a new tab on your screen or pull out a different device, whatever it might be. Um, But my personal preference, this is just me speaking personally, is to have a physical Bible, something that I can highlight, jot notes down, think about things, uh, maybe hear something in the sermon or in your own reading, and then maybe even later Go back and see what the Holy Spirit was doing in your life um, in times to come. And so, again, we will be in Romans chapter 8. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we will dive right in because we have a lot of ground to cover today. So join me as we pray. Father, we are grateful that you meet us. That you are a God who comes down to your people. Lord, it is not incumbent upon us or even possible to ascend to you. You don't ask that of us, Lord. Lord, you come down to us from Adam to the last man, Jesus. You make your way down to us so that we might be with you. And Lord, in a very real way today, we believe that you are coming down to us so that we might worship before you. We might stand in awe. And so we do so with humility, knowing that your word is true, knowing that what you say is what goes. It is the standard It is the truth at the deepest level of reality. And we do so expectantly, knowing that your word is timeless and that makes it timely. And so it speaks to us this very morning. And so, Father, watch over us now as we dive into your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. I'm going to begin reading and we're going to go to verse 11. It says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, The spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. I don't know when the last time you received life changing news was. Um, It could have been this week or it could have been years ago for you. 
but I think most of us in the room have lived long enough, we have experienced life enough to have a moment or maybe even many moments where we receive news that alters everything. Uh, there is news that will hit you in such a way, and maybe it's positive, maybe it's a net gain, maybe it's a career that you've always wanted to be a part of, or you're getting married, or you found out you or your spouse is pregnant, and you have this positive net gain news that changes everything. And for some, it could be a negative news, a negative piece of information. Maybe a terminal illness, maybe the death of a loved one, maybe the loss of a job. But for whatever the news might be, it changes everything from your life going forward. This past week, my family and I went to Polly's Island and we were catching up with some of her college friends from Davidson. She's a wildcat. Um, No one? Okay. All right. She'll be proud of that. So we were catching up with five other college friends. It was uh, five families. I think there were about 60 children running around the place. And uh, it was uh, kind of an overwhelming trip. And on the first night, you know how you catch up with people when you're on one of these trips. And so the kids were all in bed. We were sitting around dinner and just chatting. It was one of those nights where we were telling stories and laughing and they were recounting all of their college escapades. And uh, we were kind of catching up and we were going around the table and asking about career updates, just what's going on in your work world? Uh, How's your life going? We got to one of the gentlemen, and um, he was telling us he started this small IT company years and years ago. Him and a friend started it. It grew to about six people working full-time. And he said, well, our company was acquired. Um, It was bought out. I said, wow, congratulations. That's a big deal. Can you tell us any more details? He said, not really. And that kind of tipped us off to there might be something more going on here. And and so after, as the night went on, we kept prodding him for more and more information. What's going on? You have to tell us. Uh, if you can't talk about it, that means you have to talk about it. This is big news, apparently. And we come to find out he was acquired by a Fortune 500 company. He went from having a team of six to a team of 2,500. And now he's the vice president of one of the larger Fortune 500 companies in the United States. And I just kind of sat there for a second and said, well, I'm not splitting the bill on food anymore this week. (laughs) It seems like this is on you all of a sudden. Uh, But it was life changing news for him, for his family, for his family to come. That his business that started as this little fledgling thing in the office of his home went to being part of a now Fortune 500 company. And he's the vice president. That changes everything. Later on during the trip, we were walking on the beach and the kids were playing, flying kites and building sandcastles and stuff. And I said, you know, what, what's the first thing that you did when you um, found this all out? And he said, we paid off all of our debts. We paid off all of our debts so that we would be truly free. We owe no one anything. That was an incredible answer, I thought paid off all of our debts so that we're free. And here in the book of Romans, chapter 8, we get this incredible news, this incredible news that whether you're a believer or not, whether you've been walking with Jesus for two days or 20 years, whether you've read this verse or this is the first time you've ever heard it, this is absolutely incredible news. And when we understand it, when we comprehend it, when we let our minds stew on this for a little while, it changes Everything. It necessarily changes everything. Let's read it again. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. We'll just read the first verse. I'm not going to do all 11 this time. 
He says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Whenever there's a therefore in the Scripture, it's our responsibility to find out what it's a therefore. And the book of Romans, for the first seven chapters, held out the law of God. Uh, last time I preached, a few weeks ago we did this, there are 613 precepts of the law. And the Apostle Paul is highlighting or tracing out how, under God's law, you and I find ourselves condemned. Now, that's not good news. That's not your chipper Sunday morning. Welcome to church news, is it? Welcome to First Pres. Guess what? You're condemned. All right, that's not a church growth strategy by any stretch of the imagination. But that's what the Apostle Paul highlights for the first seven chapters. That our great inheritance from our father, Adam, was that of condemnation. And not only did we inherit condemnation... But we double down on it every day, it seems, right? Or maybe that's just me. I don't know. That every day we wake up and we sin, as John Calvin says, out of necessity but not compulsion. We find ourselves perpetually struggling, perpetually disobedient, perpetually wrestling. And then in chapter 7 of Romans, it's this really gritty, raw chapter where the Apostle Paul wrestles with himself. There's this internal wrestling, and I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but you can almost hear the despair in the Apostle Paul's writing. And he says, there are two laws at work within me. The law of sin and death, the law of Romans chapter 1 through 7. And there's the law of the spirit and life. And although I want to do what is good, I find myself doing what is evil. Although I want to glorify God, I find myself consistently sinning. Is that anyone in the room today? Can you resonate with that? Because I can. That while I know what is good, I know what God is calling me to, I find myself consistently, early and often, going the other way. God says go right, and I go left as hard as I can. God says go here, and I go there. And I find myself like Job go this way, and I find myself running as far as I can away from God's will for my life. And praise God, Paul doesn't leave us there. Praise God, Romans doesn't end at chapter 7 because he, he kind of sums up chapter 7 in this. He says in verse 25, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Believer, I want to tell you today, if there's any news, if there's anything that you listen to today, it's this. If you are in Christ, there is now no condemnation for you. There is no condemnation for you. Now listen. I think all of us can be frank with ourselves in saying condemnation is the just and right punishment for what we have done in our lives. For the sins that we have committed, for the disobedience we have levied against God, for the doubts and frustration, for the anger, condemnation is the just and right punishment, and yet we have been freed. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Believer, this is the greatest news you will hear. 
This is the message. This is the central push of the gospel. That for you, there is no condemnation. For you, there is no sin. There is no voice of accusation. There is no story from your past that could make God regret saving you. There's nothing. You you can't go so far that you frustrate Jesus so much that He gives up on you. You can't annoy God so much. You can't disappoint Him enough. You cannot break enough laws that God would say, never mind, I'm going back on my promise. There is therefore now, right now, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You see, I think we feel this. In our mind, we know that Jesus loves us, but in our heart, we have trouble believing that. And maybe you're like me. Uh, maybe you do this thing where you really convince yourself Jesus is going to love the future version of me that I have concocted in my mind. That there is some future version of me when I stop doing this sin and I start waking up at 5 a.m. and putting on uh, a, you know, a musical soundtrack and I read my Bible every morning and I pray for an hour before work and I wake my wife up with breakfast in bed, then at that point, Jesus will love me. And all the wives in the room just said, Amen. He'll love you then. And we convince ourselves that at some future date or in some future state, Christ will love us more. But believer, I'm here to tell you, based on the authority of Scripture, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel. I'm tempted to end right there, but I'm not going to. Because that is the greatest news and it changes everything. It changes how we operate in life. It changes how we view our internal struggles. It changes how we do mission work. It changes how we spend our money, how we treat our spouse, the way we look at our kids. It changes everything that grace has been extended to you and to me. And therefore, that grace extends from us. Now, I think there are two radical misinterpretations of this verse, and we need to address those. The first is one that I think we find a lot outside of the church, and it's this. Uh, I think our culture would be one where it says there is therefore now no condemnation, period. And we see that we see that because we live in a day and age where culture doesn't condemn many things. Uh, We live in a day and age where things that we thought were abhorrent are done in the public square, right? In a day and age where things we never in our lifetime thought we would see, and yet they're celebrated on the news. We live in a day and age where there is no condemnation, where it's not fornication, it's love, where it's not murder, it's choice. We live in a day and age where it's not racism, it's heritage. We live in a day and age where Satan's greatest tool is a thesaurus and Facebook. And the terms have been redefined to where there's no condemnation. And the temptation for Christians is that we go in with the culture and we follow that. And all of a sudden, we're not following God's law. We're living by the law and the law of death. But the other edge of that, the other thing is that we as Christians feel condemnation. We say for the Christian, there is condemnation because whether through spiritual abuses or someone consistently bringing up our past in a toxic relationship, we feel that we cannot please God. We feel that because of our sin, 
because of our history, because of the mistakes that we made when we were a freshman in college, because of the things we said in that moment of anger that we can never take back, that we are condemned. How could God love me? When we wake up the next morning and go, I never thought I would go that far. How did I get here? When after 10,000 bad decisions, we find ourselves lost and hopeless and feeling so far from God. And we feel the weight of condemnation in our very souls. We feel it. And we feel it so much so that we're ashamed to even pray. We're ashamed to go to God and be honest about our sin. Because how, how could he forgive us? I'm a Christian. I'm an elder. I'm a deacon. I, I lead Sunday school. And yet I did this thing. Or I've been doing this thing for 10 years. What if they found out? What if, what if the curtain was drawn back like the Wizard of Oz and all of a sudden they know who I really am? And we feel this sense of condemnation. Believer, if I can offer anything to you this morning, it's this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You know, 216 times in the scriptures, we are called either in Christ, in him or in the beloved. Only three times are Christians called Christians in the Bible. And it's usually kind of pejorative or in a mocking term. But 216 times we're called in him, in the beloved or in Christ. You have been hidden in the very son of God. That this morning, your eternal status has been hidden in him. You are in Christ. The Apostle Paul uses this language over and over and over. Um, this is a legally binding idea. This is a, a contractual agreement, a covenant, if you will. Um, similar to you being in a family, you being in a marriage, you are in Christ, and later we'll find out that Christ is in you. The righteousness of Jesus Christ has been imputed or given to you freely, overflowing, and irrevocably given to you. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You know that sin you did last week? The anger you felt driving in this morning because somebody cut you off on 85? And that's real. I get that. The argument you had with your spouse and you said things that you never should have said. The thoughts you had about God, given the current state of the world. You're free from those things. You're free from the condemnation, the record of wrong of those things. For what the law was, verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Because you and I earned condemnation, God sent his son to pay the full price. 
that on the cross, Jesus cried out, it is finished. And the full weight of God's wrath was absorbed in Christ Jesus. Do you know that because Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law, we, we confess that Jesus lived a perfect life for 33, 34 years. He never sinned in word, deed, or thought. He lived perfectly, and He transfers that to your account. That's what imputation means. Think of it like, a, like somebody Venmos you money. Okay, We're speaking to the millennials now. If you don't know what Venmo is, ask your son. All right? He Venmos us His righteousness. He gives us, He imputes to us right standing before God. So that when God sees you, no matter how sinful you are, if you find yourself in Christ, when God sees you, He sees His Son. You see, I think a lot of times we compare ourselves to others. And we get this idea of subjective goodness. Oh, I'm better than that person. At least I didn't do this thing. My sister always does this. Praise God, I don't do that. We compare ourselves to that and we say, I'm a good person or I'm better than so-and-so. But the problem is, God's standard isn't good. It's not better. It's perfect. And there's only been one and His name is Jesus. And because of His sacrifice for us on the cross, you and I can walk in unbelievable freedom from condemnation because we're given His righteousness, an alien righteousness that is not our own. Verse 5, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Stop right there. Not only are we given the spirit that sets us free from condemnation. Okay, There, there are seven things in this passage that we could address, and I would love to if we had another hour together. Uh, but not only are we set free from condemnation, we are set free from chaos. All right, in the Hebrew, the word ruach, it's the uh, word for wind, and it's the word for spirit. And whenever you have chaos in the Bible, the ruach of God, the spirit of God, appears and brings order out of chaos. Genesis 1, verse 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was, the Hebrew is tohu bavohu. It was without form and void. It was chaotic. But the Spirit of God was hovering over those waters. And what does the Spirit of God do? He begins to bring structure out of chaos. He begins to bring peace out of things that are chaotic in nature. He orders. That same Spirit brings peace to your life. Now that's a big deal because we're living in a pretty chaotic time. We're living in a time where America is the number one user, user of psychotropic drugs, antidepressants, SSRIs, antipsychotics, where there's a global pandemic and rates are starting to skyrocket again, where the rates of divorce because of isolation or whatever it might be, quarantine or whatever it might be, are starting to skyrocket. Abuse is being reported more and more. People are having mental breakdowns. And just as a pastor who talks to people, I know more people who have taken FMLA leave 
in these last two years that I've ever met in my life. I think we all know someone or are someone who has had mental issues during this time, and I am not invalidating. Those are very real. And I'm not invalidating seeking therapy or using medication as doctors prescribe. But I'm here to tell you the Holy Spirit brings us a supernatural peace in the midst of chaos. Because if you are in Christ, and if you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, God has his eye on you. We're told later on, Romans 8, 28, all things work for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. If you are in Christ, your life is in the palm of his hand. And I don't know about you, but there's a comfort knowing that God's watching out for me. There's a comfort knowing in the one who controls the means and the ends of all things has his very eye on my life. Who am I? Who am I that God would be mindful of me? And yet Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. I call you my friends. And the Apostle Paul says that we are sons of God. That God watches out for you. And this should bring us a supernatural peace that where the spirit is, there is peace and freedom. And not only that, but verse nine, look at this. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. Listen to this. This is one of the most mind blowing verses in all of scripture. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. If that doesn't get you excited this morning, uh, it's 830. I get it. Okay. King David longed for what we have. Um, Isaiah looked forward to the day that we are living in. That the people of the Old Testament, the patriarchs of the faith, so you think Abraham, you think Joseph, you think uh, Joshua, you think um, all the kings, you have Solomon, you have Saul, you have David, um, Rehoboam, all of these people, all of the prophets, major and minor, received the Spirit of God in a temporary fashion. The Spirit of God would descend at moments and then would leave them. But all of them longed for access to the Spirit. The very Spirit of God that hovered over the waters in the creation account in Genesis, the Spirit of God that descended on Jesus at the baptism of Jesus, the one whom Jesus performs his miracles through, as Scripture tells us. In John chapter 20, Jesus breathes on his disciples and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. And here we're told the very Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. It's living in you. In fact, in Galatians, this is called the mystery of the gospel. And Paul says that it's been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints, which is you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you want to walk in freedom? Do you want to walk in no condemnation? Do you want to walk in peace? It takes walking with the Spirit. 
This Spirit now resides in you and it is accessible to you and it empowers you. And so I want to leave you with two ideas. One is personal and one is potential. One, personal. If the Holy Spirit, the same one that raised Jesus from the dead, the one that overcame death, is dwelling in you, what have you given up on too early in your life? Like, what sin have you just accepted? Okay? Um, some of us have been walking with the same sin for, let's say, 10 years? 20 years? 30 years? A month? Two months? What bad habit, what sin, what area have you been um, refusing to give over to God? Or you tried a few times and you just said, well, I gave it my all. And I guess that's just how it's going to be from now on. Or what I love now is people use personality tests to excuse sinfulness. Well, I'm a four on the Enneagram. Of course I'm going to be angry. Or I'm a Pisces. That's just how I am. And we often refer to uh, Paul's thorn in the flesh. Where Paul says, I asked Christ three times to take it away. Do you know he's probably referring to a speech impediment, not some sort of sin? And we say, well, it's just my thorn in the flesh. That's what it is. What sin have you given up on too early in your life? What thing do you need to revisit? What relationship is broken that you need to double back on and revisit and start the healing process? Who do you need to say sorry to? Where do you need to reconcile? Because the Holy Spirit gives us the power to fix these things, to bring order out of chaos and brokenness, to bring life out of death. And if we're neglecting that, that's our fault, not his. Are we looking to Jesus to fix the things that we've broken? Because he's offering that to us. So personal, what have you given up on too early? What sin area, what broken relationship, what thing And the next is potential. Where are we not walking in obedience to Christ? Where is God calling us to in regards to mission? Where is God calling us to that we don't want to take that next step? I referenced Job earlier. God called Job to a place called Nineveh. And Job ran and found a ship to Tarshish. Went as far as he could away. Tried to at least. God changed that plan. Where is God calling you to be missional, but you're going, no, 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 I I can't do that. Lord, that's going to be awkward if I broach that conversation with that person. Anybody else, please, anybody else. Or no, that's the coffee shop I always go to. I can't talk about Jesus. It would get weird that I'd have to find another coffee shop. Or I always go to that grocery store or that that's my personal trainer. It's going to make things weird. Or no, I don't want to go there. That place is dirty. It's on the wrong side of the tracks. I can't be effective there. Because I would argue that if the Spirit is calling you there, the Spirit will equip you there. God doesn't tend to call the people who are able. He tends to make the people He calls able. He tends to equip the called, not vice versa. So one, what have you given up on too early in your own personal life? And two, where... Where are you not letting God use you? Where are you saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to walk in obedience here. I'm not going to do this thing. Because the Holy Spirit gives us the power to say yes to God's call. 
The Holy Spirit not only gives us the power to say yes, he gives us the power to be effective in God's call. God can use you. God will use you. There's a big city out there. When you leave these doors, you're walking into a mission field. You don't have to hop on a plane to do missions. You don't have to get in your car and drive 14 hours. You don't have to have a passport. As soon as you leave 200 West Washington Street, you are entering the mission field. Here's my question. Are you being missional? Because the Holy Spirit is calling you. The same Spirit that is dwelling in you, there are people desperate for it out there. There are people desperate for peace, desperate for order, and we can help them see that. So first, friends, let's pray. Father God, this morning you call us to something high and mighty that we cannot do on our own. You call us to a missional lifestyle, Lord. Uh, not based on our own talent or abilities, but based on your power and your spirit that dwells within us. So, Father, I pray that we not shy away from the Holy Spirit. Uh, many of us have heard odd things or, or maybe abuses from our past of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, if we're being honest, sometimes when we bring that idea up, it makes us nervous. Maybe nervous because we're afraid of what he's going to call us to. But Lord, I pray that we stand in the freedom from condemnation that you give us. We stand in the life and the peace that you give us, and we stand in the mission that you give us. And so, Lord, this morning, call us as your people to be a people on mission, to transform the heart of this city, to look at the building that you are building, to look at the church you are building, and say, this is a jumping off point. This is our launch pad into this city that so desperately needs the gospel. And God, we thank you that you have... So chosen us to do that. Lord, we love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.